Hi, and welcome to the Young Family Small Business Podcast, the show that deep dives into conversations with experts in small business, raising a young family, or are shining examples of mastery in both. My name is Ben Walker, and I'm the founder of Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants, and the host of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants. We've worked with thousands of business owners since we started in 2013, and we're best known for saving our client base a total of $17 million in tax and counting. For every dollar of tax we proactively save a small business, Inspire donates a day worth of access to life-changing food, water, health, or sanitation services to a family in need. If you're interested in speaking with an accountant to see how we could help your business, head to inspire.business forward slash chat. G'day and welcome to another episode of Young Family Small Business. Uh, In this episode, we chat to Natasha Hawker, who is the Managing Director of Employee Matters and a leader in the Australian HR space, as well as a sought-after speaker, author, podcast and media commentator. Natasha's book, From Hire to Fire and Everything in Between, uh, is an Amazon bestseller and Natasha has helped hire, manage and exit thousands of employees for businesses around the world. Uh, Natasha leads Employee Matters Group in helping business owners, uh, specifically small businesses, with their people management uh, and she's turned her attention of late to mentoring and advising business owners. Um, She has also recently graduated from the Australian Company Directors course. Um, We had a really good chat, uh, especially in the context of what's taken place over the last um, two years or so uh, in the HR space. Uh, So we spoke about things like uh, making sure we want to prevent fines of up to $64,000 or so with fair work. Uh, We we spoke about 34% of a person's salary is the is like the cost of the business if they're a disengaged team member, uh, the concept of discretionary effort, um, and then also some personal tips uh, from her on uh, you know working with your spouse in a business, uh, which was pretty cool to see as well, uh, and involving the kids and, and what that means for the children as well in the business. So um, I really appreciated it. I uh, had a great chat, and um, yeah, I hope you will enjoy it too. Thank you. Hey, Natasha, so good to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. This is really exciting. <laughs> it it's is, usually yeah. me interviewing you. <laughs> That's it. Now, it must be our maybe eighth or ninth uh, um, webinar or podcast we've done together. Yes. We're like old friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, it has been actually a while, maybe 2014 or yep. 15, maybe somewhere around there. Yeah, we've been doing it a long time. Yep. Oh, very good. Well, um, the first question I always ask on the podcast is, um, could you tell me a bit about your family? So who's in it? And um, yeah, what do you like doing together? Yeah, so family. Um, Well, first and foremost is my husband and also business partner, Mark, otherwise nickname is Osk. That's a longer story. Um, There's (laughs) Amberly, Jamie and Benjamin, three teenagers in one house. Oh, my God. But in COVID, (laughs) I'm so blessed to have teenagers, you know, when that was that lockdown. Thank God Mm. they weren't primary school kids anymore. And our latest addition, don't worry, I haven't had another baby. I'm still off for that. <laughs> I was is... about to take a sip of coffee and I <laughs> You are about, <laughs> about to spit your coffee out, weren't you? Um, uh, is a yeah. new puppy dog called uh, Bowie, uh, and he's a cross Aussie shepherd and border collie. Uh, mm. And he's just finished eating the laundry and the kitchen. And, uh, mm. <laughs> yes, we are, we are changing that. We are getting that under control. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. And um, and what sort of stuff do you like to do as a family to hang out? 
Yeah, so we're a mad sport family, Ben. Mm. Um, we love to watch and we love to play. So from Mark and my perspective, we, you know, hang out. I, I play a lot of squash, so I play squash usually a couple of times a week, 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm a bit of a <laughs> mad person that way. And I also play in the Masters, and I love my squash, but I also play tennis. The kids are into – Ambly's just retired as a Level 7 national gymnast after yeah, wow. eight years. So she's now just pumping it out at the gym. My daughter plays mixed and um, ladies soccer, and my son plays Div 1 soccer and has just started rugby league. I'm not so happy about that. I'm a rugby union girl, I have to say. But anyway, (laughs) I'm now having to turn into a rugby mum. But we do try and go out together for dinner as much Mm. as we can. We love to travel, but obviously we haven't been doing much of that lately. Because Mark's English, we had lots of trips back to the UK to make some memories with Grandad. And he's yeah. since passed away, and sadly, we haven't been back since. But I'd love to get back to travelling to the UK, especially with the kids before they fly the coop, which, you know, mm. blink of an eyelid, they'll be off our hands, even with going to uni. Yeah, no, that's it. It's um, Yeah, I'm kind of reflecting on I mean, I've got much younger children, but, you know, have Facebook memories oh. pop up and they're, like, tiny and they're taking yeah. their first steps. And, yeah, it just even that seems like a while ago now. So, yeah. Blink of an eye, hang on to them. That's it. <laughs> and so you you work with Mark. Um, yes. Which <laughs> uh, I'm going to go there if that's okay. That's all right. Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, you're, you're definitely not the only couple in, in you know, of clients we work with, um, mm. for example, but even like that I'm aware of in business who, who work together. So what are some of the things you do to, um, uh, how do I put it, like, like make it work? Yeah, that's a that's a really good word. Yeah, make it work. <laughs> yeah, look, I think for us, and you're absolutely right, there are many couples out there who absolutely can't do it. I think we do it well because what he's good at, I'm not, and mm. what I'm good at, he's not. And we actually, I suppose, respect each other in those spaces and we'll probably awesome. err a little bit more towards what he's got. I'll be led by him and vice versa. Mm. Uh, so I think that works really well. And we actually enjoy each other's company. You know, we've had so many couples say to us, my God, I, there's no way I could work <laughs> with my partner, husband, wife, whatever, better half. And But for us, it does work. Uh, and we've been doing it 10 years now. So it's something that we're, we're actually very proud of the fact that we can do it. And we actually include our kids in the business as well. So the kids, for example, come out for dinner to celebrate end of financial year. If we've end of calendar year, they've worked in the business as well. So it is a family experience. Mm. And, you know, we have a brass bell that we ring every time we win a new client. And it doesn't matter where the kids are. They still, even now, I don't know, Pavlov's Pavlov's dogs or something, (laughs) but they start cheering and clapping because they know that means we've not won another new client. So it Mm. is a family business in every sense of the word. Yeah, very cool. And what about outside of the business stuff, like with you and Mark, how do you sort of deepen your relationship as a, as a couple? Yeah, look, we play squash together. Mm. We walk together. I find, you know, if we walk our dog together, we solve a whole lot of problems, both or challenges in the family and in the business that on that walk. It's amazing mm. what you can accomplish with just a bit of free air and space and, and green space. So that's what we do. I think we love eating out. We love French food and French wine is a weakness for both of us. So we often try and do that as regularly as possible. The other thing we do do in terms of deepening the relationship is we do go away together, not as much as we'd like, but we just had our 18th wedding anniversary. And so we went and stayed in a hotel in the city and 
farmed the kids out and thank you to all those people who took the kids. But even though it's 24 hours, it feels like so much longer. And I think it's really important for your relationship, especially when you've been together as long as we have, that you invest that time. And we actually have a swear jar on those types of weekends and we don't talk about the business. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Not that, swear. not the original swear jar. <laughs> you know, it's like, because uh, yeah. I'm always thinking about the business and I'll go, oh, oh no, I can't talk about it. I, you know, mm. because you've got to carve out that time that is not work related, that's about you and your family and, and your relationship. Yeah, very cool. That's interesting. Now, I'm going to, I've taken a few of those notes in the, for the show notes, but uh, they're very productive. The, the only thing I would just add to, though, with that is, <laughs> It's interesting how you and your kids will grow up in the same way. They're part of your business. And I was reflecting when I was thinking about this podcast. And one of the funniest things, and I just think it's so timely and worth sharing, is we've always had a remote business. So we've always worked from home. And our kids, when they were younger and pre-COVID, used to say, mom and dad, you know, Mary's parents actually have a real job. They actually go to work. <laughs> and, and I used to think it was hilarious because, uh, you know, I know how many hours I work and you would be similar when you run your own business. But I just think, oh my God, how much time has changed, you know, yeah. with everybody working from home now. Mm. And I actually feel like it's a, because I've done a little bit more of it, especially the last two years. And um, I think it's an, like a, in a way, a blessing that you can, um, and, and a bit of a curse in the, when they're screaming outside the door. But like it's so cool to be able to, uh, see them on the breaks and um yeah i mean it's lovely if that's it's lovely. a real job i'll take that <laughs> yeah and look i think mm. their exposure to what you do i think you know my parents are always saying to me don't underestimate the value your kids see of you mm. and mark working so effectively together but also building something together mm. and they're exposed to it through osmosis whether they like it or not and it's funny, my my eldest says she probably might run a business, but it might be an allied health. My son's got no interest whatsoever. He's the youngest. Now that yeah. may change over time, but I just think it's interesting because they get so much exposure to business as a result of being around business owners. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's pretty cool. And switching gears into mm. your career. So so would you be able to walk us through mm. what you've done up until the point of starting Employee Matters? Yeah. So my career actually started in banking and finance, working in dealing rooms. I was trading mm. fixed interest and semi-government bonds. So working wow. in that whole space of, you know, fast-paced dealing room, phones being slammed down and all of that sort of stuff. It was great. It was a really interesting time. I often say that's where I got my drinking legs because, <laughs> well, in those days, as uh, you did, you went to the pub for an hour and a half at lunch and, and you learned to drink. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, but anyway. It was an exciting time. You know, it was in the late 80s when greed was good and, and it was, um, you know, a great experience and learning experience. I then became a recruitment consultant working in a recruitment agency for my sins and I learned how not to run a business there. But I have to say, Ben, it absolutely came back to help me out when I started my business because I actually had to cold call again, which mm. is something, a skill you develop as a recruiter. So that was a great experience. I did it for three years. I wasn't great, good, very good at cold calling. But when I got a client, I had them for life, you know, from an account mm. management point of view. Mm. I then got my lucky break and I joined Accenture and it was absolutely my lucky break. I often say that's where I learned corporate best practice. And now I apply it in a way that makes commercial sense to small to medium businesses. Mm. And I had a national role. I traveled Australia. I traveled up to Asia. I went to Paris to teach a course. I went to the US to do a new hire executive 
orientation, which was brilliant. So it was a great experience. I was seconded to India to be their HR manager for a couple of months where I wow. worked with a team who'd never had worked for a woman before. Um, so <laughs> that was really novel for them. Wow. They thought that was really cool. And I'm still in touch with those guys today. Wow. And then I was made redundant in the UK, came back to Australia, newly married, newly pregnant, got picked up by Accenture again and did some contracts for them while I was having a couple of kids in quick mm. succession. So, and that sort of takes me up to when and why I started Employee Matters because three kids in three years, it's not really hard, not really easy rather to have one of those <laughs> very big jobs and work the way we used to work back then, you know, 12 hour mm. days. I would have never seen my kids. Yeah. Yep. And that's a. Yeah, no, that's not really a fantastic outcome. And so what, what was the decision-making process in, in, start, in starting Employee Matters? Yeah, great question. I was lucky enough to do a couple of contracts and I actually saw through doing that that there was a market for this. And mm. actually, it sounds funny to say it, but 15 years ago, outsourced HR wasn't really a thing, but I could see it could be a thing because I could see how much those SMEs were really struggling to hire, mm. manage and exit at the basic mm. level. <laughs> And for yeah. many of them, their employees was, you know, part of their greatest expense, but they they were they were an anomaly to them. They just didn't understand why these employees do what they do. And they found <laughs> it difficult to hire well. They found it difficult mm. to manage. And God forbid if they had to exit someone for misconduct or non-performance. So essentially, that's why we chose to start it. I, a fabulous experience. I went onto the government website and they had a how to build a business, like a business plan. It was 57 pages, I have to say, but it really made me dig deep and think about why I wanted to start it. Mm. And at that time, I gave it to Mark and said, this is what I'm thinking. Can you critique it as he does a lot of my written work? And then he started to move into the business. So we've been going 10 years now. I have to say it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's also the most rewarding, both personally and I think in the longer term financially. Mm. But we've Mm. sold the car to start it. We sold the house to keep it going. We've just... But, uh, bought back into the market, you know, six years after we sold our house. So, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. But for me, 10 years in now, I can really, really start to see the opportunity, but also reflect on on where we started and where we've come to. Yeah, fantastic. And does it feel in a way like you, you've just started, you've just begun? Yeah. You, you and I have talked about that before. Sometimes yeah. I feel like a startup, you know, and I have to remember, ah, <laughs> oh, actually, we've been doing this for 10 years. But I think that's partly because of our philosophy. We're, we're never done. It's all about mm. continuous improvement. So, for example, we have been ringing our clients for five years now and we do our NPS score, our net promoter score, mm. and it sits at 77, which we're enormously proud of because 50 is an excellent score, 80 is world-class. So we see we're nudging that 80. So we're very protective of that 77, but we also want to improve it. So we're always investing, reinvesting in the business, trying to learn. You know, I spent a lot of money, a lot of money on my business education, but I honestly think I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't done that. Yeah, for sure. And and what, um, just while we're talking about it, what, what are a couple of the big decisions that you made in the business that maybe had the biggest outcome, or whether it's growth Great or financial? Question. One is invest in my personal education and yep. business education. And we've been working with business coaches or a business coach for over six years now. The next one is, Mark always laughs because we run Employee Matters as if we were a Macquarie Bank, which was where he worked, or Coots, mm. he worked there as well, or an Accenture, but we try and do it on the budget that SME has. So that level of professionalism is there. Mm. We've never 
cut corners in that sense. We always play as if we're a really big player. And interestingly, a lot of people think we're bigger than what we are. I think it's because that's the way we present to market. The other thing is um, around finally investing in systems, so getting the right systems around us. We've grown organically with systems, so we start with the freebie models and then you upgrade to the next model and so on. Our challenge now is trying to get them all to talk to each other and amalgamate and work well. And the last one is finally I've replaced myself in terms of I used to do all the sales and we hired a BDM in September last year, which has freed me up to do more of the strategic thinking the building of the partnerships, you know, the speaking gigs and all of that sort of stuff mm. and let someone else do the sales who can do it better than I can, to be honest. Yeah. So I'd say they, and then the last one, sorry, the last one, which <laughs> is the critical one, is we've actually changed the product. So we finally nailed monthly reoccurring revenue. So that is really powerful. One, because we get far better results for our clients. And two, mm. financially, it really has a cumulative effect and it's having a massive impact on both revenue and profit for us as a business. Yeah, fantastic. And we might actually look back to what that looks like from a mm. client's perspective a bit later, but um, yeah. uh, that's, that's very cool. And you mentioned sort of the key things you help businesses mm. with uh, is hiring, managing, and um, <laughs> what we don't love to do, which is yeah. exit people. Would you be able to maybe walk us through what, what the sort of framework that you yeah. share? Yeah, definitely. So I think the fundamental thing I'd like to share with your listeners, and it's Mm. been something that's been a bugbear of mine and something I've been banging on for years about, but I actually believe great HR doesn't actually even just fix or prevent problems. Great HR is your competitive edge to increase your productivity, your profitability, and your sustainability as a business. Absolutely. Mm. And I think often people when they look at how their money is spent in their business, their employees are a very expensive part of that, their Mm. wages and salaries, but they don't get the bang for the buck. They do not get the return on productivity that I'm thinking they should, which is a minimum of three times the salary. So if you're Mm. paying 300K, you should be getting 300K's worth of revenue. So in terms of what we do, we've seen this evolve over the years, but essentially we normally start with a client to fix an immediate problem, to your point. Uh, Mm. Fred's not performing anymore, not turning up to work, doesn't want to come to work, isn't doing his job right. Can you get rid of him? So often that's when we'll come in at that entry point to fix a pain point. But at the same time, we now simultaneously do a a HR diagnostic called employee metrics on the business Mm. that assesses that business for its current levels of HR compliance and risk best and, and best practice. And then it will show the clients where they're exposed to fines from fair work, which will make your eyes water. Mm-hmm. of up to 63,000 or 64,000 and 12,000 for the individual if you breach fair work. So it's often quite easy to fix once you know, but most business owners don't know that. And then what we do with the vast majority of our clients is we move them on to HR Pathways, which is a monthly amount of hours. So it might be anywhere from four or eight hours a month to sort of eight hours, 16 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And they can cancel that at any time without any costs. They can increase their hours. They can decrease their hours. And what we find with that is we impart a lot of our knowledge to their manager team. So their manager team or management team can then actually do some of these basics that, to be honest, we actually pay them for. They can actually learn how to hire, manage, and exit through us. So it upskills the whole team, and then it's much more proactive. And so you spend much less time and also money retrospectively trying to fix a problem that shouldn't have occurred in the first place if you'd actually got your HR right in the beginning. Yeah, okay. 
and and that that'll take a bit of pressure off the business owner themselves to stop doing so much of it or the reliance on them. But what what sort of stuff do you normally teach a, a leadership team or a management team about um, managing people? Because yeah, we we don't get told that stuff at uni. If no, and it's it's again people. something else that I have reflected on a lot over the last couple of years. But I don't think our managers were actually taught to hire, manage, and exit pre-COVID. Mm. Then you put them in a COVID situation. And for a great example is we moved to working from home overnight instantly in Australia, did a really good job with it. There were clients of ours that were literally picking up computer consoles and walking them out the door to go and work from home. So we did that well. What we didn't do well is change our management style and be actually able to articulate what we need as managers in a COVID working from home scenario. So if you're Mm. not seeing your person day by day because they're sitting in the chair next to you, how do you know how they're going? How do you know how they're performing? Do you have KPIs? And I think what a lot of businesses did was say, you know what, Fred or George is not working out at the moment, but I can't manage them remotely, so let's just leave it as it is. And so that problem has just continued on, and that's a very expensive problem to have in a business. It costs 34% of somebody's salary to have a disengaged or a not engaged employee. So, you know, you're costing your business a lot of money by not dealing with that. And so I think in terms of what we do to get the managers better is we actually teach them as we go and we actually run formal training as well. But say we're doing one of those awkward performance management conversations, we'll do it with the client, but coach them through it and actually sit with them while they're doing it. If they're comfortable, script it for them, role play it with them so that next time they can go, actually, I think I've got this. I'm actually okay to run this one myself. Mm. And so they're upskilling practically and then we reflect with them what worked well, what didn't work well and so on and so forth. So that's how we're doing it. But we see a lot of knowledge transfer and often in some businesses where we started with an EA, they've become their HR person, um, which is really helpful. And for more the transactional stuff, and then we'll still come in and do the strategy or the really mm. hardcore, difficult, legally challenging stuff. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And and so what? Um, like obviously the re- the remoteness of working from home with COVID's been one of the things. But what are some of the other challenges that we've seen pop up in the last eighteen months that haven't been? almost there in the past. Yeah, I I think the two that I talk about is one is the great resignation. You and Mm. I were talking in the green room about this. There has Mm. never been a more difficult time in most people's business living memory of Mm. how to recruit or the the challenge in recruiting. So number one, your people are being tapped on the the shoulder. I can guarantee (laughs) you to leave you. So conduct stay interviews to make sure that you can keep them with you. So the retention piece is key. Yep. That's a great thing. Let's let's dive into that. So you mentioned um, stay interviews. Yeah. So often in the beginning, we interview people to work out whether they should join the business <laughs> and some, and they should, interview people when they leave to get some sometimes mm. less protected or less generous mm. feedback, you know, as to why they're leaving the business. But what we should also be doing is conducting stay interviews. So a conversation with you, Ben, might go along the line. Ben, you know, what would keep you with me for two or three years? What do I need to do as your business owner to make sure that you stay with me? Now, for you, it might be very different given you've got young children versus me at the stage of my career where I've got teenagers. Mm. I might be doing something completely different or wanting to do something completely different with my career. But having some really uh, deep diving questions to work out, it's going to be different for everyone in your team and really important that you do that. So uh, Mm. retention, recruitment, And the other one, where was I going with that? 
I think you need to train them. Absolutely. We stopped training people in the past because it was an expense. Mm-hmm. And there's that old saying that says, what if I train Fred and he leaves? And I'd say to you, what if you don't train Fred and he actually stays with you? That's going to be a lot more difficult. The last one I wanted to comment on because it's really topical right now, and we've got a lot of clients dealing with this, is how do we encourage people to actually come back to the workplace? So I think when a lot of the, the state premiers said, right, you can go back to the city now, off you go, All a lot of business owners and, and uh, companies went, great, everyone's coming back. Well, everyone's actually voted with their feet and the la- and a large majority of employees are going, uh-uh, I'm quite happy here sitting at home. I do not want to return to the office. And so there's a, a challenge to work out whether that's viable, whether it's legal to make them come back to the office, and then how do you encourage them, carrot and stick? We work with an organisation <laughs> called Hidden Door who come up with these concepts which are sort of gamifying the return to the office to make people more inclined because in the good old days, Ben, we used to offer them money, uh, not money to come back, food and wine or beers. They go, i got food, wine and beers at home. That's yeah. not a big enough attraction. Although I have to pay for it, I don't want to get on the bus because it's costing me more money or I feel mm. you know, exposed to COVID. So we need to get much more clever with how we entice people back to the workplace. Um, and some people can't do their jobs from home, but uh, there's a lot of people who can and they've gone, hey, I've been doing it for two years. Why do I need to change? Hmm. You'd give me a really good reason why I need to come back to the office. Mm. Yeah, and I guess for for some business owners maybe or businesses, maybe their model can support that. I, yeah, for Inspire, I feel like we've got a really great culture and, and even I miss the, yeah. the team if I've been out of the office for a while. So I can't quite grasp that completely yet or, or like it to be losing something in a sense where we don't come back. But yeah, I imagine that must be hard if people do, if, if business owners or management teams want their people back. Well, it's, like, nah. <laughs> it's really interesting, Ben, because we're actually seeing it from the recruitment side now. So if we reflect on mm. somebody coming to an organisation, we're having candidates that are saying, I want to see their vaccination policy and I want to see their flexibility policy. Mm. So in the good old days, we used to say, oh, we have a flexible workplace. You can work from home. They actually mm. want to see it in a policy document in black and white. And you might say, well, what's the reason for that? The reason for that is that they've dealt with ambiguity and change for the last two years, (laughs) and they actually want something in writing. They want to know that, you know, working from home three days a week is supported and it's not going to have it ripped out from under them. Yeah, wow. That's really cool. Oh, it's challenging. (laughs) Uh, There you go. So we've talked about the, I guess, the challenges around hiring. Mm. And what what about the sort of management stuff? Is that yeah. What, what things do you sort of focus with clients on there? Yeah, I think, you know, we've touched on it, but I think let's talk about team um, mm. because I think team is a really important one. So your listeners um, may be sort of aware of the saying that says people don't leave organisations, they leave leaders. So I come mm. back to that piece where we need to make sure that our managers are not only just doing their job, they're exceptional at managing, mm. you know, because that's going to make your people more sticky. And I think a lot of people often don't transfer the skills down the line when often your up-and-coming people really want to grow and develop. And if they feel like they're being mentored and coached and, and, and taught, they're going to stay with you longer because especially your Gen Ys and your Gen Xs and sorry, Gen Zs, they want to be filling their toolkit with skills. That mm. is really, really important to them. So building a great team has to do with trust. 
And it has to do with sharing a really clear picture of where you're going. So I know you have offsites, Ben, we do too. And in those offsites, you're very clear about this is where we're going next. This is what we're doing. And this is what you can do to help us get there. So that's really important. And I think the other really important thing, and you mentioned it there when you said, I actually miss the office because I like mm. hanging out with the people. In our business, I, what I do know is that those teams that have each other's back mm. perform much, much better. So an example of an engagement question, and you can measure your engagement of the business. In our business, the highest score we get, which is 93%, which is unbelievable, is I feel supported by my peers. We're not even talking about the managers. They think that their team around them has got their back and is helping them grow and develop. So I think, you know, what I know is those organizations that have high levels of engagement, engagement is the measure of discretionary effort. What will make me go above and beyond for you, Ben, not just Mm. because you're a nice bloke and you're paying me, but I'm bought into your, you know, giving uh, clean water or I'm bought into the philosophy of Inspire. Mm. And that has those businesses that had that pre-COVID were able to pivot, and I know that's a very overused word, but they were able to pivot very quickly and adjust to the rapidly changing and constantly changing uh, conditions. And the other thing that we touched on before, I mentioned the 34%, we use a model called the employee commitment model, which I'm going to send you a short video you can put mm. in the show notes after this, but it talks right. about having... Prisoners, conscripts, volunteers, and trainees, you'd be probably familiar with it from me and and others now, but it's really important that if you've got people in that conscript and and prisoner category, you're proactively either getting them out of the business or moving them across to be volunteers, and Mm. you need to be growing and developing your trainees. So I think that's really, really important from a team perspective. And I can give you a personal example. We've been hit really hard, even though we're a remote team, we've had eight now in the last couple of weeks of our team's family or them themselves impacted by COVID out of 17. Hmm. And we're a remote team. And sadly, we've had uh, somebody's parent passing and everyone's just stepping up. Everyone's Hmm. just, whatever I can do, I will do it, what needs to be done, or they're just going on and doing it themselves. They know what needs to be done. We don't need to tell them. So I think that's a great example of a business that is working really Uh, well together and making sure that the wheels keep moving even when the wheels feel like they're falling off. (laughs) Yeah, uh, there you go. And what's some of the ways that you keep your remote team connected with each other? Yeah, great question. We catch up once every quarter and we do a whole day and that's we're very open and transparent with our business. Our team sees our financials. We're very Mm. open and they love that team day. It's their favourite days of the year. And it's lovely. I get goosebumps on my arms when I share this, but watching them connect when they haven't seen each other for a quarter Mm. and they don't, they may have only eyeballed each other eight, nine, 10 times in total, but the warmth and the professional respect that they carry for each other is really high. How do we do that? I think Mark and I lead with authenticity and we expect that from our team. We are always complimenting our team. If they do a great, we have a weekly standup and it's virtual. And I always do shout outs to say, here's what Ben's done well, here's what Fred's done well, and so on. And I believe success leaves clues. So (laughs) when I'm saying the reason why our clients love us is one, we're knowledgeable, two, we're quick to get back to them, and three, we're just nice people to deal with. (laughs) And I keep reinforcing that. My team know that that's the hot buttons that most of the clients want. Mm. So they then go and make sure that they're hitting those hot buttons uh, for the client. Yeah, wow. That's, uh, That's really cool. 
Yeah, and again, it's a bit of a challenge for me to get my head around fully remote, but um, there's some of the things I guess you can do to, yeah, I love the the off-sites. Whereabouts do you sort of default for the location? Yeah, there? typically go to a hotel yeah. and have a day, get a room there for the day, a big meeting room, and then yeah. we go out for dinner in the evening and that's when yeah. we let our hair down and drink <laughs> lots of wine and eat lots of yummy food. This year we're thinking and hoping that we're going to do a two-day off-site. That can be challenging because some of our team have kids but yep. you, they're actually very keen for it to go ahead. So I, think, <laughs> I think there might be a few husbands, wives and partners that will be covering while they escape for a couple of days. Yeah, very cool. There you go. And and so the, the last piece of the puzzle, so we talk about hiring, managing and then mm. exiting. Yeah. What are some of the key things to keep in mind when you exit someone? Or, yeah. Or you get to that point. Yeah, I, I think and, I, and remind me because I want to come back to an ROI scorecard and talk about financials because mm. particularly of relevance and interest <laughs> to your clients. But exiting an employee is never easy to do. I flew into London just after September 11. I had to let about 50 people go. And you can do it, but you can do it really well. I would always encourage people to take advice because the, the legal test is, was the dismissal harsh, unjust or unreasonable? And you can do a whole lot of things in the process to make sure that you meet and pass that test. It should never, under a performance management, it should never come as a surprise to anyone. They should know they're not really cutting it. Mm. And what happens when you're giving them that feedback, that legitimate feedback in an effective way, they will most likely probably resign before you get to that having that mm. difficult conversation. But prepare for the difficult conversation. Be sensitive to the fact that this is not going to be a great day for that individual. and have a, a well-choreographed script, make sure you do it legally. For example, suggest that that individual brings along a support person mm. because their head will be spinning and they won't think about what is actually happening to them. They'll Sorry, they'll think more about what does this mean? Can I pay my mortgage? How long is it going to take me to find a job? Rather than listening to what's happened to bring it to this point. So, And potentially have someone scribing for you so that there's a record of that meeting. Document, document, document. You cannot if you get a call to attend fair work and you can't stop an employee taking a case, but you can defend yourself very effectively by making sure you followed the process. So get mm. advice would be my guidance, especially if you haven't done a lot of these beforehand. Yeah, cool. And is there a maximum time an employee has to, to take it to fair work after yes. being dismissed? Yes, after they've been dismissed, they have to have made a complaint unless it's extenuating circumstances within 21 days. Okay. So if you get past that 21 days, you can probably go a few. But what I would say to your listeners is mm. the thing that we're finding more and more is if your employees don't know what their rights are, I can guarantee you their friends and family do. Yep. And it costs them, I think it's latest, I think it's $87.50 and a call to fair work to lodge a complaint. You, on the other hand, are going to have to fill out about eight pages of paperwork and then turn up to a mediation. Mm. And a mediation is you on one side of the conference call and your ex-employee on the other side and a commissioner who is listening to your case and will award on the basis of how they find that's going. Now, I will give you the clue. It, you are expected to do it correctly. They are more inclined to favour your employee than you, especially if you haven't done it correctly. So mm. that employee can get up to six months salary and or reinstatement. And I can guarantee you for most people for $87, I'll see if I can get to six months. Yeah, no, that's it. 
Um, all righty. Well, um, and sorry, I think you spoke about something about the ROI. Yeah. So one of the things um, I have always felt strongly about from a HR perspective, we're often called soft and fluffy. And I can guarantee you mm-hmm. there's nothing soft and fluffy about what we do when it comes to exiting someone from the organization. And mm-hmm. I actually had a very strong view from a long time ago that you, doing HR well makes you money in the business and stops mm-hmm. costing you money. So I've actually come up with an ROI scorecard, which is a whole lot of data that we'll take from an individual business, which will work out what's it costing you to hire? What's it costing you to have that attrition rate at 30% versus 20? What's it costing you to have disengaged or not engaged employees? What's it costing you to have productivity levels at 1.5 times an employee salary, not three or four Mm, times mm. ideally? So all of that is in a uh, SaaS platform that we've developed. So we often use that at the beginning with the client. So we'll mm. be able to say, here's where we think we can save you some costs. And then we do it at the end of 12 months or end of a period of work, because then we can say, that's how much we've saved you. Mm. So it's a really compelling. And often if organizations are deliberating about, should I be spending money on this HR stuff? Because I've winged it so far and it's going okay then I would say, well, let's have a look at some of these figures and work out whether you prefer some of that money in your bank account rather than not being in your bank account. Yeah, that's fantastic. And is, and is that like a online thing that you, yeah, you said SAS before, but yeah. so we can put, pop that in the show notes and people can- Yeah, um, I can show a link to where it is, um, but it's yeah. done to you rather than done by yourself at this point. Okay. Yep. No worries. No, that's fantastic. And and what about um, if uh, if people want to know a little bit more about you and and what you do? What what are some resources they could find? And yeah, um, yeah. So um, first and foremost, I wrote a book called From High to Fire and Everything in Between. We also have a podcast, Employees Matter, of which the lovely Ben Walker is one of my wonderful guests on a, a number of episodes. Send an email to info at employeematters.com.au or just contact us and look up the website at employeematters.com.au and that's the best way to get in touch or find out more about us. Yeah, perfect. Well, I um, just took a few notes there and uh, we'll pop them in the show notes and, um, yeah, well, thank you very much for sharing a um, an often very challenging topic for um, business owners. Um, I know even, you know, I feel like we've we've had a great team for, for most of our, our journey to Inspire, but uh, yeah, definitely been caught off guard in the last couple of years on things that pop up and um, the the great resignation and all those, yeah. you know, <laughs> much higher expectations of working conditions and all that sort of thing. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a very important part, I feel, of, um, of running a successful business is getting your team and your HR stuff right. So uh, thanks for sharing. My uh, pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm sure our listeners have got, got some uh, value out of that too. So Alrighty, and uh, next time you're in Brisbane, let, let me know and we'll go to a French restaurant. <laughs> oh, can't wait. It's been too long between dinners. Yeah, there's a, there's a great one in Spring Hill. Um, yeah, it's very nice. But uh, <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes too. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thanks very much, Natasha, and I'll chat soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Lovely to catch up. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with today's guest, you can find their contact information in the show notes in the podcast section of our website at inspire.business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support 
the Young Family Small Business Podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Also, do join our Facebook community. You can find that by going to youngfamilysmallbusiness.com. And if you're interested in speaking with an Inspire accountant, head to inspire.business forward slash chat, where you can book a free 20-minute strategy call. And lastly, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, which is the at symbol Ben Walker, C-A, or one word, or at Inspire underscore accountant. Thanks again and see you next time.